You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It is awesome to have you guys join us as uh, we're getting things set up back here. Um, I want to tell you, next Sunday, we're kicking off a new series called The Problem of Jesus. Maybe you haven't thought of Jesus as a problem before, but next Sunday, we're going to be beginning this series. We walk through the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, 5, 6, and 7. And so I hope you can join us uh, as we walk through the problem of Jesus over these next few weeks, the rest of this month. Uh, God's going to do some great things. So thank you for joining us. Today, we're closing out a series that we've started back at the beginning of September on Labor Day weekend called Becoming. And uh, so often we get focused on what we're, uh, where we're going in life, where we're going in society. And throughout the last five weeks, we have talked about, you know, let's not focus on where we're going, but rather what we're becoming in the process. And today, uh, we're going to close that out uh, with that. I have a question for you as we kind of kick off uh, this morning. And, and here's the question. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. This is one of those things maybe you, you know, lay in bed at night and process. How many seeds does a tomato have? Anyone know how many seeds a tomato has? Or, or specifically, how many seeds is this? This is a pretty big tomato. How many seeds does this tomato have? And, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, 500, 200, I, I don't know. The, the answer is, though, there are enough. There's, there's enough seeds and this tomato, to be able to plant plants next year at your house, new tomato plants, to give your neighbors some seeds so they can plant plants and have tomatoes next, next year. There's, there are enough seeds contained in this tomato to not just feed you this year, but actually prepare uh, enough tomato plants for you to feed next year. Isn't that remarkable? And, and here's the question. Uh, uh, who benefits, in the end, from seedless Grapes, seedless fruits, seedless vegetables. Whoever has the seeds, right? That's the only one that benefits. Whoever has the seeds. Um, Today, I want to talk to you uh, about this tension that we sometimes face in life. And and one that's become, I think, more evident in recent times. Uh, It's not something that's new. It's something that the human race has really battled with for thousands of years. It's the tension between scarcity and abundance, between scarcity and abundance. Uh, we don't have enough or, or we have more than we need. Now, by show of hands, how many of you would consider yourself savers? You're a saver. Saver. How many of you would consider yourself spenders? You're probably married to the savers. That's usually how, how it works. Um, now, the thought is usually that people who are savers have a scarcity mindset, and people who are spenders have an abundance mindset. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. You can actually have uh, an abundance mindset and still be a saver, and you can have a scarcity mindset and still be a spender. Um, uh, what it is, it's a, it's a matter of your perspective, your approach. And, and uh, as we close out this Becoming series, uh, we've been talking about not where we're going, but what we're becoming. Um, we've looked at all these different components to how we become who God wants us to be, how we step into this overflowing life with Jesus. We've talked at the beginning of September to how we start uh, by seeking God through his word and his spirit. And, and the week after that, we talked about how we grow best in the context of relationships. And, and uh, uh, the week after that, we talked about how we move forward together in teams. Last week, we talked about how we engage uh, our local and global community to transform our world. And today, we want to talk about this tension between scarcity 
in abundance. How we take what we've been given and use it. How we generously invest all that we've been given. Now, um, over the last, uh, you know, rest, or beginning of this year, I'll say, throughout this year, I've had a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings this year. Uh, some of it's because, you know, COVID last year and weddings got pushed to this year. <clears throat> had a lot of weddings. And there's just been, been this consistent conversation I've had with different guests and people at these weddings throughout the whole year that's really unique. So unique that, like, it's like I'd have, I've had this conversation over and over and over again, the same conversation with different people. And it's this conversation. Um, Man, our world is not in a good place right now. What are we going to do? How's this all work out? What's the future even look like? I don't know if you've had that conversation. I've had this conversation so many times with so many different people in so many different formats. What, what is our world going to look like? How, how do we find our way out of this? Is this like when, when everything kind of spirals downhill? Like, What do we do moving forward? And can I tell you, I don't know the answer to that. I, I can't look into the future and know how this all pans out. But I do know this, that we are given a gift. We have given a gift to invest in the future. We get to shape the future from the present by what we invest. I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about uh, finances. Every area of our life, we have this gift that we get to give. Now, when we have a scarcity, abundance mindset, when we have a scarcity mindset, we don't invest because we don't know if we have enough. We would never do that. But when we have an abundance mindset, we recognize we actually have all that we need. And as we give, we multiply. As we give, we have more. And, and as, as a follower of Jesus, we can focus on a lot of things uh, regarding our past. And we do this often. You know, we celebrate communion and we remember how Christ has died on the cross and he has forgiven our past. And we focus how we're working through our past. Uh, but what we're talking about today isn't so much about our past as it is about our future. See, the real question is, how do we view what we've been given and how can we use it to make a difference in the future? There's this really interesting story uh, in the Old Testament which if you're not familiar, uh, there's two sections of the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament. And there's this story of this widow. It's recorded in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. And uh, this widow, she has just lost her husband. She has two sons. And she fa- she's faced with a really scary, uh, stressful, anxious situation. Here's what it says. Verse 1. It says, One day, the widow of a member of the, groups of, uh, of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you, you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Now, uh, in a provision of the Jewish law, um, a, uh, a creditor could do this. They could come, basically take immediate family who are part, uh, kind of working age and put them to work as slaves uh, either until the credit, uh, the, the, the credit was paid for, uh, the debt was paid for, or the year of Jubilee, which in uh, Jewish law, every 50 years was a year of Jubilee where those who were enslaved were freed and restored. Those who had debt, it was forgiven. Uh, it was this provision that God put in place in the Jewish law to uh, basically cancel all debt every 50 years, which is really neat. I wish we had that. That would have been kind of cool. Um, you're worried about your school debt? Just try to live to your 50th year after graduation and you're good. Um, 
But uh, this is a provision that was in Jewish law. And now this woman, understandably, is frightened. She's scared. She's like, I don't have the money. I don't have what it takes. Maybe you've been there. Like, your credit card debts have gotten too high, or you're kind of getting yourself upside down, and you're not sure how you're going to make it. That's where this woman was. Uh, her, her, she not only lost her husband, she lost the father to her, her, her boys, but now she's got this creditor asking for money. And, and, and this, her husband had worked as a prophet, uh, had worked alongside Elisha, who was also a prophet, and, uh, and they'd worked together. They knew each other. Uh, so this widow cries out to the prophet Elisha, and here's how Elisha responds in verse 2. He said, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? So he's, he's coming to her and he says, okay, uh, how, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What do you have in your house? And he's trying to think, like, is there something? Can we have a yard sale? Go to a big yard sale. That's not going to work. And, and here's what she says. She says, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Go into your house with your sons. Shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars setting each one aside when it's filled. Now, this is a pretty crazy request. So all she has is this little pot, jar, uh, flask of olive oil. And, and Elisha's like, you got to pay your creditor back. Here's what I want you to do. Get as many jars as you can. Fill the whole house with as many jars as you can. Ask all your friends, family, neighbors, whoever. Uh, get as many jars as you can, empty jars. And I want you to go in your house, close the door, lock the door, just you and your boys, and I want you to take that oil, and I want you to start to fill the jars. Now, uh, logically speaking, if you're kind of projecting into the story here, you would figure out um, one jar of olive oil, lots of empty jars, eventually it runs out, right? Um, you know, we've learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, I have at least. I've got this much chocolate milk. I have three children with cups to fill that chocolate milk. Somewhere down the line, one of them's going to be really mad because there's not enough chocolate milk to go around to everybody, right? We're going to have a tantrum. We, we understand this. We're adults. Well, this is what uh, Elisha told her. Now, Elisha was a prophet. He had a rich reputation uh, where God did some miraculous supernatural things uh, through his ministry. God used him to do incredible things. And so this woman, having been close to that because her husband was one of the prophets, obeyed. She starts to do this. And it's interesting that, uh, that Elisha, or this woman, uh, goes and closes the door. Elisha doesn't want this to be a public miracle. It's just her and her boys get to experience this. Um, and verse 5, it says, So she did what she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Can you imagine how this went down with her sons? That um, they're like, Mom. This is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard of. We've got debt. Like, these guys are going to put us as slaves. Do you understand what's on the line? It's our lives, our future. We're going to be slaves. And, 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 and this is the best we can do, these jars. And, and they kept bringing a jar into the kitchen. And she fills it up. And they come back with another empty jar. And they're like, how did you fill it up? They put another one down. And she fills it up. And then and they bring another one. They fill, and before you know it, the whole house is filled not with empty jars, but jars full of olive oil. How remarkable is this? In verse 6, it says, Soon every container was full to the brim. 
bring me another jar, she said to the, one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Then she told the man of God what had happened. And he said to her, so practical, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live off of what is left over. How remarkable is that? Here's what's, what's amazing about this story. While this widow didn't have very much, she actually had all that she needed. She, did, she wasn't rich or wealthy, but God had already given her all that she needed. And, and, and it wasn't until that she started to take her jar and pour it out that what she had multiplied and grew and, and, and be able, was able to provide for her and her boys. Now, later in the second part of the Bible, there's another story that Jesus tells in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 44. And uh, th- this is a, a story uh, in a similar way about something that was there that uh, wasn't evident. And it's a story of this man. And it's a parable, so it's not like a, an actual story. It's a story that Jesus told for a reason or purpose, kind of to, to convey a message or, or, or a principle. And, uh, and here's how the story went, uh, so to speak. It was a hot afternoon in Israel. A Jewish man was on a journey. He had his staff in his hand. And as he's taking that journey uh, toward Jerusalem uh, for, for business that he had, his tunic is soaked with sweat. It's hot. He's tired from his travel. And he decides to take a shortcut. So he's on the path and he decides to kind of take a shortcut to make his journey a little bit shorter and he cuts through this field. As he's cutting through this field, um, uh, it wasn't something that was odd or or looked down on. In fact, uh, it was very common in first century for owners to be okay with travelers traveling through their fields. It was an okay thing. Uh, To maintain his balance through the uneven field, he's using his walking stick, uh, putting it on the ground and and, and using it to kind of get his balance. Uh, As he's walking through the field with his walking stick, he all of a sudden hears this thunk in the ground. And it, it didn't sound like a rock, but it sounded almost hollow. Uh, it seemed like it hit something. So he pokes again. It doesn't, uh, 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 once again, sound like a rock. It sounds like something hollow. And the traveler doesn't uh, have a whole lot of time to stop, but he's curious now. So he gets down on the ground, and he starts digging a little bit. And, and he realizes there's something here. As he kneels down uh, and jabs it, uh, he sees something is different. The sun's reflecting off of it differently than he had anticipated. And as he's digging a few minutes later, he discovers a chest bound by an old rusty lock. As he pries open the lock, he is astonished to discover uh, all of these treasures, gold and jewelry and precious stones are, are filled in this little chest. He's overjoyed with this incredible discovery uh, this is what we long to find, you know, buried treasure. Then it hits him. He doesn't own the field. It's not his. So he goes and he buries the chest back in the ground. The Bible says he went and, sells. He went and sold all of his possessions. And he comes back to the owner of that field and he buys the field. And now he owns the chest. He owns the treasure. Now, when you think about this story, uh, this would be like our our childhood dream, to come upon buried treasure. You know, this is, there's a lot of movies and shows about stuff like this. Movies like um, uh, Indiana Jones or Pirates of the Caribbean. We love finding buried treasure. Treasure usually represents uh, wealth or something valuable that is not necessarily earned, but stumbled upon or discovered. And here's the deal about treasure. What if, what if I told you that each and every one of us already have hidden treasure in our lives? 
And I'm not talking about how incredible your personality is. You know, that, that could be a hidden treasure. Um, but you have hidden treasure. You see, everything in your bank account, all the stuff that's packed into your house, the people in your life that mean so very much to you, even the job that you hate going to day after day, all of that is a treasure that really has been given to you. I know you might be thinking, uh, I wish I had a little bit more of some of that treasure. But, but when you really step back and compare what many of us in this room or watching online have compared to most people in the world, there's no question we are incredibly blessed. Why I know many of us work very hard for the money we've earned and, and those with kids have worked really hard to raise the family that you have. Have you ever thought how your life might be different? if you had been born in Haiti, uh, a nation where close to 80% of the population lives on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. We're, we're complaining about uh, minimum wage. Can you imagine working for an entire day, not an hour, an entire day for less than $2? Or, 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 or what if you had been born in the Congo, the fourth poorest nation in the world, a place where for every thousand children born, 111 of them will never see their first birthday. Do you see, see what I'm talking about? This story shared by Jesus isn't just a parable. It's a story of our lives. We have been so incredibly fortunate and blessed to have been born in the midst of, 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 of amazing prosperity. And this isn't because you or I are any better than someone born in Haiti or the Congo. We have been blessed with the treasures we possess so that those buried treasures could be shared with the world around us. And my hope for you, I hope for our church, isn't that we'd become more prosperous so others could look at us and say, wow, look at those Christians. They have everything they ever wanted. No, no my hope is that others would see a radical generosity flow out of this place and impact our community, impact our region, impact our world. My prayer is, God, use what you've given us to turn our world upside down. Send us out as catalysts to change this world through us to leave your fingerprint upon the pain and suffering of our world. That's my prayer. That's my hope. This is exactly what happened. The story of the widow I shared earlier. God didn't magically drop money into her bank account. You know, God could have, um, God could have easily just like dropped money on her doorstep. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He used what she already had. She thought she didn't have enough, but little did she know, she was sitting on buried treasure. She actually had more than enough. Not only did she pay back her debtors, she had enough to live off of. And in both of these stories, we see these two interesting observations that often affect our ability to be generous and invest what we have into the future. First, the widow and the man in the story Jesus shared, didn't experience the benefits of their treasure right away. Like the woman had had that jar, that flask of olive oil for a period of time. She didn't experience the benefits of it right away. The man, although he discovered this, this buried treasure, he didn't get to experience the benefits of it right away. And this is a principle of delayed gratification at work. What's delayed gratification? It's deferring the pleasure of something until a later date knowing that it will be better later than it is now. This is why we eat dessert last, or we're supposed to at least. <laughs> we, we defer the benefits of dessert until after we've eaten our meal. 
That's why we put aside money for retirement. While we could spend that money now, we know that saving it for later will ultimately be better in the long run. Jesus explains this idea of delayed gratification earlier in Matthew's gospel. Now, if you've ever read the Bible and you're like, I don't understand what this says, I'm not quite getting what this is trying to communicate, can I tell you one of the best ways to understand Scripture is to allow Scripture to interpret itself. We can have this tendency, it's easier sometimes, to kind of project or put our thoughts or our perspective or our angle into something. It's better when Scripture can interpret Scripture. So this idea of delayed gratification, we see explained in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Here's what Jesus said. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What's he saying? The, the instant gratification feels good in the moment, but it's not lasting, it's fleeting. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's he saying? Uh, you can delay the gratification. Invest it in something eternal. Pass it on, pay it forward. Verse 21, he gets to his point. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are the things most important to you? Look at, think about the things most important to your life. Wherever you find them, that's where your heart is. Maybe you find them at work all the time. Maybe you find your value, your worth, the treasure in your life, in what you do for a living. Maybe it's in your family, wherever it might be. What Jesus is saying is where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Your heart will follow. Now, we like uh, things instantly in our culture. We love, maybe you don't love this, because I hate coffee, but some people like instant coffee, uh, instant mashed potatoes, uh, we like things as quick as possible. Some days, even, you can order something on Amazon if you do it early enough in the morning and actually get it by the next day. Certain things, not toilet paper, but, you know, everything else. It's remarkable, and we love this. We love things that are quick. We love things that are fast. We love to be able to, to, to order something on an app and show up at a place and they have it already for us. We like things quickly. But, but with this push to get things done quickly and instantly, what if we could delay the gratification of indulging in our treasure now, instead invest it into eternity? In other words, what if we could use our blessings to really ultimately bless someone else? What if rather than becoming a holding tank for God's blessings, we became a waterfall that flowed through our hands and touched everyone around you? And this is the unmistakable trait of followers of Jesus, that we can generously invest what we've been given generously. I hate hearing stories of people who are Christians or go to church going to restaurants and being super stingy. Like I've heard this story so many times of waiters or waitresses saying, man, I had this church group in and they didn't even leave a tip. They just left a tract. Please don't do that. That is the worst thing you can do. We should be generous people. We should be known for our generosity this is delayed gratification. It's taking the blessings you've experienced now and paying them forward to bless someone else later. And, and while we are delaying gratification, that doesn't mean there's no gratification. You see, the second thing we see in both of these stories is the woman didn't just pour the little amount of oil she had into the jars begrudgingly, and the man didn't just sell all of, all of his possessions with a scowl on his face. They did so with joy. 
joy. This is the incredible joy uh, that, that we can all possess. When we give and we discover the treasure that's in front of us, it gives us this joy. And more so, we get even greater joy when we get to see someone else who benefit from it. There's a unique joy in blessing others. Every year at Christmas time, here at Calvary, we come alongside families in need in our community, help provide Christmas gifts. Pastor Delena does an amazing job at, at uh, organizing, coordinating all these efforts, connecting families that want to help provide gifts with families that need gifts. And, and through the month of, no, of December, especially getting closer to Christmas, I can't tell you what it's like to sit there in the office and watch families come in and drop off gifts. And they're so excited. Like, they're like, we, we went and shopped, we got everything on the list, we wrapped it, we got it ready, we are so excited, almost as if it was a family member. And these are complete strangers. And then shortly after that, to see families come in, a single mom or, or whoever it may be, a grandparent, walk in, uh, not being able to afford anything for their children or grandchildren for Christmas, and walking in and seeing the incredible blessings. Uh, last year, we had over 60 kids that we helped provide Christmas gifts for. Like, half the sanctuary was full of just gifts. It was incredible. What joy there is in giving. What joy there is in being generous and blessing others. There's something special that happens inside of us when something that was ours, our time, our money, our possessions, when we take something that's valuable to us and we use it to help and serve another human being. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote in uh, his letter to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2. He said, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Man, so much of our world is wrapped up in selfish ambition and vain conceit. Oh, what's wrong with our world? Usually it's tied back to selfish ambition and vain conceit. I want to make something of my life. I want to make a name for myself. We are looking for our, our, you know, 50 seconds, 30 seconds in the spotlight that we could be, you know, the next big YouTube star or get our, our kind of flash of greatness or get on some reality show or like this is what society is telling us. Aim to, toward that selfish ambition. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I know this runs in complete contradiction to society. But we generously invest what we've been given. Not we just like inch our way. We generously invest. That means when you see someone in need, you don't just do what's enough, you do more than enough. That means when, when, when you're giving your effort to, to help someone at work or serve somebody that's in need, you don't do just what's enough, you go more than enough. Why? Because we're generous people. This is the buried treasure of our lives. It's not discovering some new treasure that forever changes our lives. It's not winning the lottery or, or getting the sweepstakes, whatever. It's discovering a new perspective of the very treasure that's always been there from the beginning. And finding the eternal value that our treasures represent when we generously pour them out. When we generously invest them in others. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List. At the end of the movie, uh, there's this powerful scene of Oscar Schindler outside of a World War II factory. If you're not familiar with the movie, it's the telling of this true story of Oscar Schindler uh, during World War II. And Schindler was a German businessman 
member of the Nazi party who used his wealth to save thousands and thousands of Jews from concentration camps by employing them in his wartime factory. He was a remarkable man. At the end of the movie, as a Nazi party member and war profiteer, Schindler had to flee the advancing Red Army to avoid capture. The German SS guards had been ordered to kill all the Jews, but Schindler had persuaded them not to. He he says his farewell to his workers and prepares to head west, hoping to surrender to the Americans. As he prepares to leave, the workers at the factory, the very Jews he had saved, give Schindler a signed statement attesting to his role in saving their lives, along with a ring engraved with a quotation from the Jewish Talmud that said this, Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Schindler is so touched by this gift, but he's deeply ashamed as he, as he feels he could have done more. He, he holds the gold ring in his hand in one of the more powerful scenes of the movie, and he cries out, I could have saved just one more with this ring. You see, this step of generosity by Oscar Schindler wasn't just a matter of benefiting him. It wasn't selfish ambition or vain conceit. It was genuinely to help others. And and, and our step of generously investing what we've been given isn't about pursuing more. It's not about gathering more. It's not about acquiring more. It's not getting more stuff for me. This isn't a a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not about us getting more. It's about making more of what we already have. It's recognizing what's in our jar and making more of that. Recognizing what God has already put under your care as, as a steward, your gifts, your talents, your time, your treasure. God has already given it to you. It's making more of what you already have. God is most reflected in us when we are most generous with others. God is most reflected in us when we are most generous with others. I'm not talking about taking a vow of poverty and giving everything you own away to help others. You see, I don't believe God sees wealth or money as evil. Why? Because to do so would completely contradict the fact that those blessings ultimately came from him. But what I'm saying is that the blessings and treasure we possess should be viewed through a lens of generosity. God has buried within each of us this gift of generosity. And it often goes unnoticed until it's practiced, until you stumble upon it and you hear that thunk in the ground. And as the worship team comes today, we're not here uh, to to, to receive an offering or do anything like that. Uh, One of the, 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 the things that we are very committed to here at Calvary. We're never going to beg you for money or beg you for something. That's not why we're here. This has nothing to do with giving to the church. It has everything to do with recognizing the treasure that's in your life and ultimately using it to impact the world, whether it be in the church or outside the church, at work, in your neighborhood, because we generously invest what we've been given. And here's my challenge to you. We oftentimes miss the value and the worth of the things that are in our lives. We, we overlook them because we're comparing them. You know, we go on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or wherever you go. Maybe you're on MySpace. God bless you. If you remember your login still. Um, and, and we compare what we see. Maybe even on TV. You see what, what someone's doing on TV and you, you compare and you, we never feel like we have enough because we're comparing with someone else's life. And God wants us to step back and recognize 
man, you've already got all that you need. Use that to be generous. Now, a few years ago, when I was a kid, um, our church in Latrobe, we, we remodeled our sanctuary. And I had the incredible privilege as a kid to, to be the assistant to the electrician. And uh, there was a guy in our church, his name was Tim. And Tim allowed me to be his assistant. I didn't know anything about being an electrician. I basically just did whatever he said. One of the things that we had to do was we had to run wires along the top of our, our sanctuary uh, ceiling. And our ceiling was like uh, kind of this. And the top, the peak, wasn't quite as high as it is here, but it was pretty high. And we had this really tall scaffolding. Going all the way up that scaffolding, which was on wheels, was a little frightening. And do you know the only way I got over that fear of climbing all the way up there to run wires, knowing I could fall to my, you know, untimely pain, maybe not death, but like break something. Uh, the only way I overcame that was by taking one step on the ladder and, and being okay with that. And then taking another step on the ladder and being okay with that. And, and in doing that, what I did was I stretched my fear. And here's what I want to challenge you to do today. We generously invest all that we've been given, right? What does that look like? Well, it look, it's going to look different for all of us. In the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, there's this idea of tithing that is communicating. What's tithing? Tithing is uh, literally 10%, taking 10% of what you have and giving it. Now, oftentimes that's applied to our money, but it's really broader than that. It's a principle that's transferable. That we give a percentage, a portion of what we have in our lives away. That sounds outrageous. Like, that's crazy. I can barely live on 100%. I know, it does. It sounds outrageous. But can I tell you, most of the scriptures and principles in this book we call the Bible are pretty outrageous until you do them. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to push yourself. Put a standard. You know, when you're trying to get in shape, you're never going to get in shape if you just say, I need to run every day. No, you say, I'm going to run 20 minutes every day. You're never going to get in shape if you're like, I'm just going to eat healthy. No, I'm going to only eat so many calories every day. Why? We put a measurement so we can hold ourselves to that standard. Here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to set a standard for your generosity. Not to be legalistic. That's not what it's about. It's stretching yourself. I want you to step on the ladder. Maybe for you, you're like, 10% sounds crazy. That's insane. How could I give 10% of my time, 10% of my money to God? How could I give... 10% of my talents or gifts. Oh, I don't even know what that looks like. Maybe that sounds outrageous to you. Why don't you start with 1%? Start with 1%. 1%. Say, hey, for the next six months, I'm going to give 1% of what I earn back to God. I'm going to look at my calendar, and I'm going to give 1% to serve other people. That might be in the church. That might be uh, coaching your, your kid's baseball team or basketball team. That, 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 I don't know what that looks like. I'm going to give 1% of my schedule. Or, or maybe you're really skilled and gifted in certain areas. I want to give 1% to train someone else to know what I know. Start, start there. Start with the first rung of the ladder. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I've been giving 10% back to God for decades. I want to challenge you to stretch it. What does 12%, 20%? You know something Heidi and I do every year that we strive to do and we are not rich or wealthy by any means? We strive every year to increase our percentage that we give back to God. Not because we've got so much money that we don't know what to do with it. It's because we've learned over the 10 years we've been married, as you pour it out, 
God just somehow brings it back. Not that we get rich through it. No, we just become the, the conduit that God uses to be a blessing. And here's what I want to encourage you. Take a step on the ladder today. Take a step. You have all that you need. It's not about hitting the lottery and then I'll do this. No, let's be generous with what we already have. Let's be generous with our time. Let's be generous with our words. Let's be generous with our resources and money. Let's be generous with what we already have because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If we want to change this world, it's not going to happen with a sermon. It's not going to happen with a tract. It's not going to happen uh, with what you post on social media. It's going to happen when God's people step into what he created us to be, which is generous, that we generously invest all we've been given. You want to see our world changed? You want to know how everything pans out in this world? You get to shape it by what you invest into it. And maybe for you, it's taking that first step on the ladder and saying, you know what? I'm going to take a step. Maybe for you, it's moving your way up, further up the ladder. Whatever that looks like for you, take a step. And I would encourage you, challenge you every year, reevaluate what rung you're on in the ladder and be willing to push yourself to take another step. Because here's my promise. I've lived it out in my own life. As you pour out, God keeps multiplying. He keeps multiplying. And he gives you opportunity to, to bless more people. And, and you pour it out and he gives you opportunity to bless more people. Here's my, my prayer today as we, we prepare to close. God, give us more that we could be more of a blessing to this world. Let your people, those that follow you, not be known by our angry comments, not be known by how we look, talk, or dress. Let us be known by what we give. Let us be known as people who are generous. Why is that important? Because the greatest verse, most well-known verse in scripture embodies that, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He, he gave. He, no, not, not God so loved the world that he, he hoarded as much as he could. God so loved the world that he, he demanded. No, God so loved the world that he gave. That's what God has called us to do, to pour it out, to help one more person. Let's pray this morning as we prepare to close. Lord, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with. I thank you for the blessings you've put under our care. Lord, you have been so incredibly generous. We are blessed beyond what we deserve. God, that there is a roof over our heads, food on the table. Lord, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with. God, let us step back and recognize the context that we live in. And Lord, how you have blessed us to be a blessing to others. Lord, how we generously can invest what we've been given. God, multiply as we give. I pray this morning as there might be some conversations with spouses or friends or family today and this week about practically what does it look like to take a step on that ladder, to push ourselves, to say 1%, 10%, 20%. What does that look like for us? God, I pray that you would stretch our faith, that we can trust in you. Lord, not that we take a vow of poverty, but that we recognize as we pour out, you pour more back in. God, use us, well, to not get rich or wealthy in a human sense. Lord, let us not be those that are hoarding more and more and more for ourselves. Let us be those that make more of what we already have, that we can spread it out and make a difference in the world around us. Thank you, God, for all that you've blessed us with. God, go with us. God, throughout today, throughout this week, at work, at school, at the grocery store, let us be generous with our words. 
Let us be generous with our time. Lord, let us be generous with our resources. Let us be generous with our talents. Let us be generous with our influence. God, allow us, Lord, to be the hope, the beacon of hope that our world so desperately needs. Multiply our efforts, I pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 